Brother Ossie, maybe, maybe I can start by saying that uh, on the 20th of March, it'll be seven years to the day that I met you. And uh, you, know, you were sitting in, in the Baptist church in Coxstadt, South Africa. And uh, yeah, I, I looked out from the pulpit. I knew you were coming. I, I had an inkling of you know, where you came from. <laughs> there were three of you from Texas and, and two from New Zealand. And I remember looking across and, uh, and yeah, saw you there and didn't think a whole lot of it. I had a sermon to preach. <laughs> and, and the journey sort of began from, from that day. But, but maybe I can back up a little bit. And, you know, because we speak about these impossibilities and we, we, we speak about the miracle. And, and I look at it so often. I think, what a miracle. What, what a miracle that I could learn and become a Christian. You know, I remember when I was eight years old, my, my parents were Catholic and we were not very good Catholics. We were very seldom in the church. And, uh, but I remember going to church and I looked at the priests and I, you know, in my little you know, young mind, I sort of thought, I need to be a priest because they're the only guys here who know that they're going to get to heaven. <laughs> and, you know, I, I very quickly learned some things about Catholic priests and decided that that wasn't really the road for me and uh, I gave up on that pursuit. But again, in my teenage years, I, I had this, this encounter with God that, that was so real. And I, yeah, I remember for, for a week or so, I just yeah, I felt them close. I, I, I wanted to read the Word. I wanted to be a Christian. But the cares of this world, the sport and the entertainment, and the, I was at boarding school and I, yeah, I had everything going my way. I was doing well. And you know, I, I, just, I, I just set it aside. I, I sort of felt like I'd given my life to the Lord, but then I took it back again. And I carried on on my own path and I ended up after school I went to the military and uh, I was married to Galen at, at 21 and you know we, we we weren't church going people she she had a background we as a teenager she had she attended a, a, a Pentecostal church for a while and uh, I remember waking up one Sunday morning and I said to her let's go to church and uh, we went and it was terrible I was so bored I slept through the whole the whole meeting <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember just before I really slipped into a deep coma, um, I, I heard the man say that uh, he was leaving the church and another man would be coming in two weeks. And when we left, I said to my wife, we'll, we'll come back in two weeks. I said, uh, but if it's like this, I'm, I'm not coming back again. And two weeks later, we, we went. It was a Methodist church in Ermelo, South Africa. And there was, a, there was a Hollander preaching. And he was in his 70s, Jan van der Avort. And he had this beautiful Dutch accent silver hair, just a real live man. And, and I was hanging on his accent as he was you know, just trying to pick up and I loved it and I was imitating it. And, you know, and uh, he was preaching on the dangers of being a lukewarm Christian. And, and halfway through the message, I just suddenly sat there and I thought, I'm not even that. I, I'm nothing. I, I'm, I'm no Christian of any sort. And I, I took my wife's hand and I said to her, I said, we, we've got to get right with God. And um, I was, we were still in the, in the military then, and, and, and we began a, a journey, and I, I eventually became a lay preacher in the Methodist Church, and the Afrikaans, and Morris will enjoy this, you know, all my Afrikaans buddies in the army used to call me aspirant predikant. <laughs> so that's just for South Africans. <laughs> Aspiring preacher, is, well, this sounds a lot better in Afrikaans. And, uh, but, but really my life was, was like a double life. I had this, this, this church life and then I had my military life and, and I had my sport life and they, they, they were all compartmentalized. 
I ended up leaving the, the, the military and, and found myself in, in ministry. I wasn't expecting to end up there, and it was quite unique circumstances in the Methodist Church that I found myself pastoring a church for four years. And, and, and again, I remember praying many, many Sunday mornings, you know, heading to the pulpit, just praying, God, for your namesake, for your namesake. I, I, I'm so ill-equipped and inadequate to do this, but for your namesake, let your word come forth today. And uh, we were there four years, and, and I finally left the Methodist Church and, and went into the Baptist Church. And I found the Baptists to be, they took the word a lot more seriously. And I, and I had some wonderful men in the Baptist Church that, that helped me take some steps. And, and I began to study. And, uh, you know, I, I got a degree in theology, and I, just enough to become dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> and... And I really felt, I remember finishing that, that degree, and, I, and I, I remember feeling, you know, okay, finally now I think I'm going to be able to live like a Christian. And, and it, didn't, it didn't unfold like that. It, I just, I found myself over the years becoming more embroiled in sin. I, I would wrestle with it. I'd get the victory for a while, and then I, I would fall back into it. I found, I watched my children grow up, and, uh, and I'd pray for them. I'd say, God. Please let them be Christian, but not like me. I, let them be a hundred times more the Christian than, than, than I am. And, uh, you know, but my life was, I, I was so involved in sport and I, you know, lived for sport. Marius will tell you, I mean, we, 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 South Africans, we, you know, it's cricket and it's rugby and I was an avid golfer and, you know, all these things, all these pursuits. I was, I, I, I was just engrossed in it all the time. I couldn't pull myself away from it. I, I just started to find that I, I was becoming more and more negative as, as, as I went on. And I, I watched the lives of my children become more and more worldly. They, and I would think, you know, they, they're not just going to do what I say because I tell them to. And, and I found I was almost playing Russian roulette with their lives. You know. I sent Shay to Bible college in, in the States um, because I just thought it's her only hope. It's her only hope. You know, there, there she'll get some grounding. The grounding that I, I, I felt I couldn't give her. And, you know, in the church, and I'm sort of getting to the point seven years ago where, where we met, but, but I remember Craig was a, was a deacon in the church, and, uh, you know, Craig would come to me, and, and I, I came to a deacon's meeting the one night, and I was really broken. I, I just felt, you know, I've got to tell the deacons that I don't pray. And I came into that meeting, and, and you know, I sat down with these men, there were four of them, and, and I really just, you know, I just made myself vulnerable and, you know, just said to them, I, brother, I don't know how to pray. And I said, I, I've tried praying so many times. I've tried every method I can find. I, I, you know, but I just, I don't know how to pray. And, and as I was speaking, the other men started saying, well, we, we, we don't pray either. And, you know, and after the meeting, Craig came to me and he said, how, how are we going to change this? He said, we can't carry on like this. He, he said, how, how are we going to hold one another accountable? And we decided to do that. And we started this journey where we, we would get together and, and we would speak. I, I, I got all the, the biographies and autobiographies I got in the church library. And I, and I said, read this. You know, and I'd read them. I said, read this, Craig. And you know, he'd go and he'd read it. And he'd come back and he'd say, do you know anyone who lives like this? He'd open the book and he'd read me pages. He'd say, do you know anyone who lives like this? And I'd say, I, I don't. He'd say, what about some pastors? And I'd say, I don't know any. And, um, you know, he'd turn around and say, what do I have to give my children? What do I have? You know? and, 
we just really began praying and seeking. And yet, and yet there were so many times there where it wasn't that fervent, where it, it, would, it would sort of come in waves and then it would go. And I remember standing on the golf course one day thinking, life doesn't get better than this. You know, I've got my church, I've got my ministry, I've got my golf course, I've got my family here. It's, this is as good as it gets. And yet there'd be other days where I'd be on the, uh, on the church floor at 4.30 in the morning and I'd be praying, saying, God, if I'm not saved, you've got to show me, you've got to show me. And, um, and he did, but I wasn't expecting him to say, you're not. <laughs> but so anyway, Craig comes to me one day and he says, um, he, he'd been telling me about his brother in New Zealand. And, and he'd been telling me how something's happened in his life and there's been a change. And, and it's got to do, he said, with these guys from Texas. Something there. He said. I said, okay, great. And then one day he came to me and he said, he said, Rowan, remember, remember I told you about my brother and, and this fellowship in Texas? And I went, yeah. He said, well, they're coming to South Africa. I said, okay, that sounds interesting. He said, oh, I don't know. He said, there might be a cult. You see? <laughs> and, and I said, oh, okay. <laughs> What do we do? And he said, well, I've got this book from them. He said, would you read the book and, and tell me what you think? And, and he gave me the, the book, What We Believe. Yes. And I was actually going on a missions trip that weekend, and I took the book with me. And I remember Adrian was, was with me, and we had this wonderful place. It was down in the coast, and uh, we had this sort of afternoon, and we were preparing for a meeting that evening. And, and I was reading through the book, and I remember saying to him, this is hard to understand. I'm actually struggling to read this, you know, because he was saying, what's it like, Dad? And I was going, oh, well, it's good, but I need to concentrate here, you see. And I remember reading about the, 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 the lifestyle and, you know, seeing the pictures and, and, and really being touched by it, you know. And I remember reading, you know, because I was trying to discern, you know, who are these guys? And, uh, and I remember reading that one of the essentials was this that everyone would have this powerful encounter with God. And I remember sitting there and I thought, have I had a powerful encounter with God? And, and I, knew, I knew that God had been close to me many times. I, I knew it. I'd, I'd feel Him in the pulpit. I'd feel Him in preparation for sermons. And, you know, but I kept looking and thinking, but, but this is a definitive. There's something here that's, that, that, that speaks more than just these these run-ins or these bumping in with God. And I looked, I thought, I don't think I've had this. And I think I know what they're speaking about. And um, I got back and, and of course, the first time I saw Craig, I was walking into the church and, and he sort of ran out to meet me and he said, it's, it's okay, it, it's okay, they're they okay. And I thought, okay, <laughs> great, you see. So... Uh, so I said to him, I said, well, well, tell them I'll meet them tomorrow at 9 o'clock. I said, tell them to come 9 o'clock tomorrow to, to the church office, and I'll meet them there. And, and I went in, and um, we, you know, we, we finished the meeting. I met you all after that, and it was very brief. And, and uh, I didn't think anything really of it. You know. but, I, but I did go, and, I, and I, I spent the rest of the afternoon and that night on the Internet, because you know, that's where we get all our information from. You know? <laughs> so, so I googled, and, and of course I found all the, all, all the terrible stuff, and, and I read through that. But, but then I had some concerns too. I had some concerns about, you know, pastoral care, and, and you know, the sort of idea of heavy shepherding, and, you know, do you have to take control of everyone's, you know, incomes, and, you know, all these kind of things that you just imagine could to be
be taking place in this kind of environment that we had never seen anything like it. And, uh, but I also found, um, it wasn't the actual video, but there was something that alluded to your putting out a message to all previous members to say, you know, if you've, if you've got, you know, some complaint against us, you know, bring it to this forum. And, you know, and I remember thinking, wow, I wouldn't have the courage to do that. I, there were a number of ex-members that had left our church over, you know, 16 years of ministry. And, um, and they didn't have a whole lot of good to say about me. And <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. Um, but anyway, I remember the next morning, I, I, I had my Bible under my arm and I had my, my full scat page. I'd written down all my questions. It was just full. And uh, I, I remember I was coming in and I thought, these were the exact words going through my mind. I thought, I've got all my doctrinal ducks in a row. <laughs> I said, if these guys are a cult, I'll be able to discern it. You know, and I felt really confident. And we went in and we sat down and I, I think I opened the discussion by saying, look, I, I know that you guys... Um, have uh, an, a, a nonviolent conviction. So I said, that gives me real peace. I feel like I can say what I want to say and no one's going to want to hit me. <laughs> and then I said, and, and I've, read, I've read your guy, Adams. <laughs> I was like, I've got to tell you, he uses longer sentences than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you know, I said, but I, I've got some questions I'd like to ask. And, and you said, well, carry on. And, and I started asking the questions, and and you know, as the next in the next sort of half hour, I, I'd ask these questions, and and I'd get these answers back. But it wasn't so much the answers; it was the the gentleness in which the answers were given back. And I began to realize that this nonviolent conviction goes much deeper than just not going to war. You 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 weren't warring with me over any of these things. There wasn't a defensiveness about you know what we are and what we stand for. There was. It was just this, this gentleness, and yet I felt such an authority in the answers. I, I was, yeah. And I remember turning around and I said, how, how, how did this start? How did it come about? And you shared, and you, start, you, know, you began, you know, my parents, and I suddenly thought, Adams, the, oh, he's the son. <laughs> and uh, you, you began, and you shared how, how Brother Blair and Sister Regina had been called to New York City. And I sat there and I listened to it and it was just miraculous. It was just the most incredible testimony, the way you told it. And, and I remember when you finished, you know, I, I didn't give you a chance to carry on with anything else. I turned around to Brother Jared and I said, how did this get to New Zealand? You know, for a South African, I didn't understand how it got there first before it came to us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then Brother Jared began to share. And it was just... Again, it was just so miraculous how it got to New Zealand. And as he was sharing, I suddenly felt, and here it is in, in my office in Coxstadt, South Africa. And something just hit me that this is much bigger than you think it is. And I remember asking, I said, what do you men have that I, that I don't have? And, and you began asking me if, if I'd been baptized in the Spirit. And, and I remember, and I, I, I really don't believe I said it in any, any arrogance, but I remember saying, I think my Baptist answer would be 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for we've all been baptized by one Spirit into one body. And I said, and, and yet it feels hollow as I, as I say it. And, and you began to share the life of Peter. And, and, you, and you asked, Are you, do you see yourself as Peter before Pentecost or Peter after Pentecost? 
And you know, I, I, I've done a study on the life of Peter. I loved the apostle Peter. And, and as you asked the question, I could just see it. I could see his zeal. I, I, I could see his betrayal of the Lord. I, I, I could see him standing at the fireplace, just denying him. And, and, and yet I felt, I knew Peter's heart. And I, I felt, God, I, that's who I am. And Brother Oxy, such hope filled me because my life had been so defeated in so many ways. I, my, my, my faith in God was slipping through my fingers. 20 years of being a Christian, 16 years in ministry, and I, oh, I could feel it going. And, um, and I remember saying, you know, I took the piece of paper, I think before then even, and I crumpled it up and, you know, thrown it aside. And, and then I said, you know, would your brothers pray for me? And uh, I, I remember, you know, I'd never... I'd, you're leapt to your feet. <laughs> yes. And you began. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. And you know, I sat there and I thought, oh boy, um, what are the school going to think? What's the church secretary going to think? You know? and, and I remember, you know, just immediately I felt God say to me, do you want this? Or, or are you going to be worried about what others think? And oh, so no, I, I want this. And we began to pray and, and I suddenly I saw my arrogance. I, I, I saw years and years of, of pride heaped upon pride, heaped upon pride. Somehow I believed that I was one of the wise of the world. And, and, and you know, I just remember saying, you know, I'm so arrogant. And, and you know, you brothers prayed for me. And again, I felt no judgment. I felt, you know, I felt like, like you were all feeling, this was a release. This was a breakthrough. This is good, you know. Brother Craig, he with those long legs of his, he was striding around the office going, this is it, this is it, this is the pearl of great price. You know? <laughs> Amen. And then, you know, we started praying again and then suddenly, you know, the fears hit me and I remember stopping you and I, and I said, I've got two fears. And you said, you know, what are they? And I said, I, I fear that I ask for this, this encounter with God, this blessing, you know, this pouring out of His Spirit, and, and nothing happens. You know, and it's just, that's it. And you said, in the second fear? And I said, the second fear is that I ask, and this incredible you know, thing occurs, and I feel God, and He pours His Spirit out of me, but then over time, I just return to being the man I've always been. Amen. And, and that was a greater fear than the first fear. And you put your hand on my shoulder and you said to me, you said, impossible on both accounts. Yeah? And, I, and I felt faith. And, I, you know, and we began to pray. And I think we prayed for until 3 o'clock that afternoon. I remember at about 12 o'clock, my wife had to go to work. And, and she sort of tentatively knocked on the door and opened it a crack. And said, can I get the car keys, please? And we all took a breath. And every now and then, Brother Caleb would open the door and... Whoo, let some air in. It was hot and stuffy in that, in that little office. But we didn't want to open the windows and yeah. scare the neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. And, you know, that church secretary is Sister Debbie Dupree. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. She wasn't scared away. And she actually turned around to, to the African lady who, who was helping, you know, who worked in the kitchen. And she said to her, Tembeka, what do you think's going on? And she said, oh, about tandas. You know, he said, oh, they're praying. <laughs> it wasn't unusual for her. Oh, at last, they're praying in this church. <laughs> uh, amen. Let me just interject here. 
you know, I didn't know what to expect that night and, and uh, I mean that morning. And so the night before, I was, you know, rehearsing all the typical Baptist questions. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to expect meeting you. I remember your questions. I remember the, the challenges. I remember you taking your questions and wadding them up and throwing them in the garbage. And, <clears throat> you know, you're always looking to say, is this a son of Abraham? Is this someone who's hiding behind their religion? Or is this someone who wants to know God? And what I saw in your eyes was sincerity. I didn't see someone who thought they were perfect, but I saw someone willing to be honest. And you know, you wonder, God, where are you gonna lead this meeting? We're feeling your presence, we're, we're feeling the spirit. And, and I remember you getting down on your knees and then on your face next to your desk and just these heart-wrenching prayers coming out, you know. And, you know, the world would say, oh, what an abasement. But I felt, and all of us felt, and I know God felt, that's a child of Abraham. That's, and for all the problems for all the failures that you knew intimately in your own life, God must have seen some germ of sincerity to say if this man encounters the real thing, he's going to give everything for it. And that's what we saw too. Amen. Amen. I want you to continue, but I just had to interject. You know, Brother Ross, as you, as you share that, I, I, you know, so many times I've looked back at, at that day and I've praised God for God. I'm so glad I never missed my day of visitation. I, I could so, you know, I just, I sometimes one I could so easily have said, well, thanks, brothers. Thanks for coming. It's been wonderful meeting you. Hope you have a great stay in South Africa. Um, let's keep in touch. You know, and, and, and then I remember hearing that that night you'd sent a message back to the fellowship to say, we're meeting with the pastor at 9 o'clock. Please pray. Brother Safriya shared it with me when I met him. And, and you know, I've wept over that. Just thinking, the prayers of the faithful, the fervent prayers of the righteous availeth much. Amen. And, and it's those prayers, but also I know it is. It was those prayers offered up on that day from people who did not know me, but they knew that God had sent you all to, to the far corners of the earth, right? that maybe there would be some there that would hear. And, and I know it's those prayers that, that at the scent of water, this dead stump was able to, to burst into life again. Yeah. Um, oh, amen. It was all smooth sailing from then on, right? <laughs> <laughs> Give us just, condense it down. Give us uh, five more minutes of what happened and, and what God has done. Well, well obviously the, fir the first thing that happened is I began praying fervently. I mean, I knew that. I did not yet know that the baptism of the Spirit was was an absolute necessity, but for me it was. I, I just knew, I had no doubt, it's, this is the next step for me. And, and I began praying, and I began praying, and every Sunday I'd stand up in the pulpit and I'd say, you know, something like, it has now been seven weeks since I started asking for the baptism of the Spirit. It has not yet happened, but I've got to tell you all, I'm more excited than I've ever been, and, and, and when it happens, you know, it is going to be something incredible. And, you know, and people began to feel this excitement. And there was a, a momentum building in, in the church. And, and, and I, I really had this dream. I had this, this idea that, 
that everyone would, would come to this realization and that there would be an incredible revival in, in, in our church. And uh, August of that year, before we knew that, that you were coming for a second visit, I'd felt to set August as a month of consecration in the church. And we didn't really know what that meant. But, but you know, we began fasting and we began praying and we began meeting, you know, every sort of second or third night. And we had an all-night prayer vigil. And, you know, as we were seeking to consecrate ourselves to, to hear God. And then we heard that, you know, you were all coming to visit. And, and, um, and that's when, when both my wife and I, you know, were baptized in, in, in the Spirit. And... You left then to, to go to Israel, and, and you know, we were so excited. I mean, we'd be, we, I'd had some, for the first time, I'd had prayer meetings in the church you know, where, where three or four of us would pray, and we'd feel the presence of God. And, you know, and um, someone came to me and, and, and said, what about the church's constitution? And, and I really felt, you know, it, it just, I knew it was God. Because I knew I had defended that constitution for years. I'd say to people, look, this is what we are. We're honest enough to tell you. If you don't agree with it, don't, don't join yourself to us. Yeah. And suddenly here I was now, and I had changed. Yeah. And I no longer could align myself with the church's constitution. Yeah. And, and I began to pray. And, and, and it, it shocked me. It terrified me. But I felt the Lord say I needed to, to resign immediately from the ministry. And, and, and I did. And I had deacons in the church come to me and say, no, this is, this is wrong. This is not God. We, we all, we're all in agreement now. L let's have a vote and we'll change the church's constitution. I had one deacon say to me, I've canvassed the church. He said, barring one or two people, it, it's a done deal. Let's call the meeting. And, and I said, no. I said, for those one or two. I, I said, we can't. I said, it's, it, 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 we can't do it. And I said, I really feel that God is calling me out. There was a lot of conflict that, that arose from that. They, they brought a man up that weekend who'd, who'd been a sort of mentor to me for a number of years prior to that. And, and he came up with very little knowledge of, of you know, who we are, what was happening. And, uh, and he tried to sort of pull everyone together and, and stop what was happening. But, but there was a momentum that, that we just felt couldn't be stopped at that time. And so we began meeting. There were a number of people, probably 70, 80 people that came out of the Baptist church, you know, determined. I remember one young man saying to me, you know, we have made an exodus. And it was. And there was a, you know, there was a tremendous excitement. And uh, we, we, we began to move forward. We began to have five meetings a week, every night of the week. And, you know, we, I'd be going from one group to the next. And I'd be, you, you'd given me um, uh, the restoration of David's tabernacle. And I began teaching through that and building Christian character. And, and, uh, but no one was receiving the Spirit as, as we went forward. And, and things began to unravel. And, and I really began to feel, I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm a novice. And, and, uh, and, and I would not to be in this position. I remember from the time we broke away, I remember the Lord saying to me, you're not to have communion. And I didn't understand why, but I remember saying to, to people, we don't know what communion is, and until the Lord shows us, we, we cannot take communion. caused a lot of conflict. And then Brother Jared came out in October that year. And you know, I'm so grateful for that trip him and Sister you know, Teresa made. They, I, I know now what it, what it took for them, and, and the leading of God's Spirit, and the sacrifice and they, the, that they made to come out and be with us, to encourage us. And he was an incredible... Uh, encouragement mm -hmm. to, to us and, and he brought he 
in his own way, he showed us that we were not on the right path. <laughs> we look at pictures now, and we can say, it didn't take a lot of discernment. You can see pretty clearly that we were not on the right path. But, but I remember he asked me to come pray with him the one morning, and, uh, and I went out and, and I prayed with him. And, and, and halfway through that prayer time, I felt God saying to me, you need to go to Homestead Heritage. You need to go and see. And I felt it so strongly but I knew that if I, if I didn't confess it there, if I didn't tell him, I, it, it, I, I'd lose it. it, it I'd, I'd then begin to look at the practicalities and go, ah, it, it's not possible. And so I stopped and I said, you know, Brother Jared, I've got to tell you something. And I told him and he immediately, I mean, he just you know, he burst into praise and he hugged me and he said, amen. And, uh, and so, you know, that began the, the journey. Uh, shortly after that, we spoke and, and you shared with me that you and your wife had you know, felt to, to extend an invitation to my wife and I to come over. By the time we came over, our little fellowship had fragmented even, even further. And, um, and to the point that, that Craig and I were, were no longer really talking with one another. And uh, it, neither of us really um, had sat to try and you know, work out exactly why. But, um, but it, it had reached that kind of point. You know. I remember... We arrived in, in, in Dallas and, uh, at the airport and Brother Caleb and Brother Josiah and Sister Ruth were there to pick us up. And uh, on the way back down, you know, Brother Josiah was sharing. He was so excited about, you know, what God was, had for us in the next three weeks. And, and, uh, and I remember, you know, just feeling I need to share with the brothers that things are not well with Brother Craig and I. And, uh, and I did. And he turned around and he said, I have a feeling that by the time you leave, all that will, will have been reconciled. And I, and I just felt, I felt such joy, I felt such faith. And you know, Brother Craig arrived a day after us, him and Sister Mariska, and the first Friday night meeting in, in Brother Matthew's house, you know, we started and we, we sang some songs. I mean, we were just, really? uh, we were so overjoyed. It was, it, was such a, it was such a privilege to be there. And Brother Craig stood up halfway through the meeting and you know, really broken. And he turned around to me and he, he said, you know, publicly, he said, I just want to, yeah, I, I want to ask Brother Rowan's forgiveness here. And, you know, and he just, he, there was just such a beautiful repentance and a reconciliation that began there. And, uh, you know, the Lord was dealing with him and the Lord was dealing with me. And, and uh, yeah, it, it was the beginnings of, of, of a deep brotherly love that, that has grown stronger and stronger and stronger. And it's a miracle. You know, and, um, and I just... You know, the songs we were singing earlier on and, and Brother Nathan sharing about the arms linked together. That first trip to Waco, there were two, th I mean, so much. I, I remember it, just everything about it. Brother Safrera and the potato lands, the first morning that I'm there. Now, everyone's planting potatoes. I thought I'd be planting potatoes. Well, Brother Safrera, he sat with, you know, this Irish South African and he planted some potatoes. You know, he, 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 he got to, to some deep issues with me really quickly and... Uh, you know, and I remember him sharing that, uh, that he had really struggled and when he first found the fellowship about not wearing short pants. And I, I came back to my wife that evening and I said, we, we don't wear short pants. <laughs> uh, and there were a couple of other things through those, that two-week pair. I said, we, we don't do this. <laughs> we don't, you know? but, but the one night we were walking home from Brother Matthew's house to Brother Kevin Durkin's cabin. And uh, it was 11, 12 o'clock at night and there were some folk parked outside one of the houses, there was a car there and some people talking and we sort of came walking by and this voice said, who goes there? And I said, uh, it, it's Rowan. 
Brother Rowan! Brother Rowan! And Sister Camille comes running on the side of the car and says, I heard about you. I've been praying for you. Now I get to meet you. And she just me this great big hug. And you know, just, that was so beautiful. And, and I felt like I belong. Amen. And then the one Sunday meeting, we, um, the, the meeting ended and I'd come out into the aisle and Brother Joel Stein was about three rows in front of me. And he turned around and he looked at me and he walked towards me and he hugged me and he said, Brother Rowan, 40 years on and it just gets better and better. And Brother Rossi, I knew at that moment, I said, this, this is the church I want to belong to. Amen. Okay, so what has God done in the last, here you are, 12 hours from where you started? Yes, still in South Africa. What has God done? What, what's the story with your family? How, how has it been? Amen. When I was on my knees in, in the office that day, I, I knew the scripture in Acts 2, you know, 37 through 40. This promise is for you and your children and those who are far off. And, and I knew then what the promise was. I knew, as I was on my, knew, my knees, I knew this is the promise. Amen. And, and I began praying, God, for my family too. I, I was so afraid that my wife, who I'd really taken a long time to teach to become a good Baptist, um, you, you know, that she was going to say, no, the, 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 no, we can't go this way. And, and, um, and so I really cried out to God, God, please, please let my family come with. And yet I knew, I knew when I was on my knees there that, that there may be a price to pay, that, that, that I had to take the steps whether my family would or not, that, that I had to, I had to move forward in this. And um, Shay, so Shay was at Bible College in the that's States. And that's my oldest daughter. She was 21, I think, at, at the time. And uh, we'd always been very close. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I sent her a message after you all left. And, and I began a long message. I just shared with her what had happened. And I, I said to her, I said, yeah, sweetie, I, I've been wrong. I, I, I want you to know that I've been wrong about this. And I, you know, I shared some things, and, and she was very gracious in her reply. You know, she sort of said something like, no, Dad, you know, w w no, what are you thinking? And, but, but we sort of left it at that, and, and she came home for the holidays in, in July, and she spent, I think it was three weeks or a month at home. And at the end of it, she said to me, she said, I, I don't really understand. She said, but I see the difference. And at that stage, I had not yet received the Spirit. And she went back to Bible college. And then, of course, I did receive the Spirit. And, of course, I was on the phone with her again. And, and, and by that stage, now, her heart was, it was opening. And really what was happening with her is her, her own shortfalls, her, her own failure. Her, her, she, in her words, she said that, you know, after three years in Bible college, her faith had dissipated. And, uh, and she really was planning to finish and, uh, and then go her direction, you know, the way she wanted to go. And uh, we, we told her we were coming over to, to Waco. And, and, uh, and she said, do you think there's any chance I can get to see you? And, I, you know, I thought, well, you know, I, oh, there was so much. I mean, we had no, no resources. And I, I didn't know if I, if I had the courage to, you know, to say, oh, brother, I'll see, is there any chance we can get shade? But, you know, I just, I just kept feeling, you know, I've got to get her here. And, and I remember asking you, and, and, and you know, you, you, you said, well, you know, hey, let, let's see what can be done. And, uh, and, and we did. 
And we, we drove up to the airport, Brother Safrer, my wife, Renana, uh, um, uh, 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 in the car. And I remember on the way, Brother, Brother Safrer said to, to us, he said, now, now you don't try and, and tell your daughter everything that, that, uh, about us. He said, you just let us love her. And I thought, that's it. That's all I've got to do. I, I can't answer all the questions. I don't know the answers. But she'll feel the love. And we picked her up at the airport. And we, we prayed. We prayed in the car. Brother Safari said, let's pray. And, and oh, it, was, it was incredible. And we, we, we just, oh, it was so good. And uh, I remember we found her. We actually couldn't find her in the airport. And then we found her. She'd already gone outside. And she was standing. And she was looking quite lost. I came up behind her. And she was looking out, you know, trying to find us. And, and I put my arm on her shoulder. And she turned around. And she was so glad to see me. And, and she was dressed in a, in a dress. <laughs> And the skirt, I think, was, which I thought was kind of music. And uh, we, we, we went down at Waco, and immediately in the car, she and, and Ren and I just, Ren and I just reached out to her, and they began chatting, and they, they, this little friendship started there. We got back to Waco, and that was it. We hardly saw Shay for the next three days. Boof, gone, you know. And uh, I remember like, the second night, we, we, we're in the cabin, and Shay's sleeping on the little sleeper couch downstairs, and Gail and I upstairs, and the lights are off, and... You know, I said, so Shay, what do you think? And she said, Dad, these are really nice people. She said, it's wonderful here. She said, I just love the lifestyle. She said, Dad, they've got so many horses. She said, I'm, I'm going horse riding, you know, tomorrow with, with uh, Sister Bonnie. And, 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 you know, and she said, you know, this is, this is an incredible time. And, and I remembered that you had told us in the very first trip about this tiny lady, Sister Bonnie, that she had this gift of praying people through. Uh, and I went, Sister Bonnie. And... Uh, and, and then Shay, Shay said to me, she said, but you know, Dad, I, I'm never going to get rid of my genes. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, yeah, you mean, no one's asking you to. Yeah. My wife, the day before, had said to me, you know, I, I'm never going to tie my hair up. She said, I just look so stupid with, with my hair back. By the next day, her, her hair, no one told her to. Her hair was tied up. And so the next evening, we had dinner, and Sister Bonnie was at the dinner. And ah. This is, this is Sister Barney. And I went to her and after the dinner and I said, Sister Barney, would you, would you pray for, for, you know, with Shay you know, for the Holy Ghost? And she said, does she even want it? <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, I'm sure she does. <laughs> and uh, anyway, she and, and Renan and, and Hannah and, uh, and Sister Avery, they, they all took her and it was quite amusing because initially they'd said they were going to go to the sanctuary and then something happened and they, and they felt not to go to the sanctuary. They were going to go, I think, to the Collins' house. And Shay said when they left the land, she got really nervous. You know, she's in this car. She wondered if the doors were locked and, you know, she couldn't get out. <laughs> anyway, she said they got there and very quickly the, the, the fear went. And, and in 40 minutes, she, she'd prayed through it. And before she could get back to the land, word had come to the cafe. Oh, we were in the cafe having lunch. And people were bursting into the cafe and coming over to us and saying, Brother Rowan, Sister Galen, Shay's got the Holy Ghost. Yeah, and we, we, I mean, there was just such rejoicing in the, in the cafe. There was such excitement. And you know, anyway, when Shay came in, we were crying and we were just so elated. And, um, and Sister Barney was, yeah, she was everything that I imagined her, her to be. And, yeah, she went back to Bible College at the end of that that stay, and I remember saying to her just before she left, I said, "Shay, if you if you don't feel to go back to college, I, I, you're not going to receive anything there. 
you know, she had six weeks left. I said, you don't need that degree. You, you, you know, if you feel to, you can stay here. And she's, you know, she, she came back to me and she said, I, I really do feel I need to go back. And she said, let me just see this out and, uh, and I need to get all my things anyway. So I said, well, amen. You know, and she went back. And shortly after she got back, of course, she, she felt that what she had received, she was already losing. I think it was maybe three weeks, four weeks. And, and she would pray with Sister Bonnie almost every night. Sister Hannah, you know, and they would pray with her. And Sister Bonnie said to her, you need to pray until you hear a word from God. And she did. And she prayed and she came back. And she had not watched the video or heard any teachings on it. She said to Sister Bonnie, I feel the word Exodus. And, um, and it was confirmation. And, and she, she, you know, she pulled out of college. And, and immediately, within a day, she was given a form to say, you've got 15 days to be out the country. Because her visa would then immediately expire. And oh, we, then we thought, maybe we didn't hear from God. And we tried to re-enroll her. They wouldn't accept her now because she didn't you know, hold in his Baptist beliefs anymore. And uh, anyway, the Lord made her way in. And she was able to come down to the fellowship in Waco. And, uh, and, and you know, really, she was there for almost three months. While illegally, there was nothing illegal about it. They, there was an application in, and so she could stay until, until she had the answer. And then everyone, when I say everyone, your brothers were all coming out to South Africa, and Brother Doyle and Sister Janet were, were coming out to help us really move into, into community. And, um, and, and I'd sent you an email months before that to say, Brother Rossi, we need help. And I remember you replied, and you said something like, help will come from the sanctuary. And, uh, yeah. And, and Shay came with that group back to South Africa and Gail and Shay and I were, were baptized in the middle of winter and a deeply cold night in Coxstad. <laughs> and, uh, in a makeshift baptistry. In a makeshift baptistry. And, uh, but it didn't keep off. Keep away the glory of God. <sighs> I remember coming, I'd gone upstairs to get changed into some dry and warm clothes and uh, I was in such a hurry. You were all singing downstairs, and I was trying to get my <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I just didn't want to miss one moment of, of, of what was going on downstairs. And, and when I came down, Brother Josiah was, was singing that song about break every chain, break every chain. And I, I just, I felt there, God is going to deliver me. I'm going to get victory. And, you know, the journey's now been seven years. And, uh, you know, in a way, I wish I could say that the victory was instant from that moment. But it wasn't. I, I, I had some demons that, that, that I had to fight. And, um, and, but God has been so, so faithful. And it pulled me through. And, my prayer in, in the last six months, my, my yes, all-consuming prayer has been, God, constitutionally, I want to be a Christian. And, and God is answering that prayer day by day by day, showing me every little thing that needs to be you know, put to death, cut off, set aside, in order to keep walking in His glory. Amen. Amen. And so by the time Brother Doyle arrived, the church had, had grown from you know, 120 to 80 to 60 to 40, and I think there were probably about 30 by the time Brother Doyle arrived. And um, so I, I can put the rest on him 
you know, <laughs> I think he'd been here about a month and, and we were down to, to the three families plus a few uh, sisters. They were, they were still with us at that time. Brother Doyle came and taught us what fatherhood is. He, he, he came and, and he fathered us. And, and it, it, took, it took such love from him because he, he addressed me particularly on so many issues that needed to be addressed. That, that I did not disciple. I, I did not need anyone coming to me and, and speaking long stories. I needed someone to come and say, why do you do this? Why do you do that? And what were you thinking here? And, and Brother Doyle did that. He would often say to me, he would say, I'm a bit gruffer than most. You know? and, and, and then he would bring the word to me and he'd bring the correction. And then he would always say, you know, w w when I was like really rattled and I'd be sitting there, he'd say, I love you, Brother Ron. And I knew he did. I knew he did. I remember one day he, he phoned me you know, two hours before Sunday meeting and I'd been preparing and I was, I was really feeling good about this meeting. And, and he brought such a strong rebuke. And it was on how I was being a renegade father to, to, with my children. And how I was not taking responsibility for, for them, for their lives. And, and I remember at the end of it, I remember saying, Brother Doyle, I, I just thank you. And I just want to say that you can bring the word to me as much as you need to. I'm, I'm not running away. I'm, I'm going to stay and I'm going to receive it. And, uh, yeah, and, and I thank God that he's, he's given me the grace every day to be able to continue doing that. Amen. Instead of asking you to explain more about what God has done with your family, I just want to go to the young people here in South Africa who, who, who've done the song for us. Let's just go straight to them. This is the bunch of young people that the Lord has been developing since Rowan made that exodus seven years ago. Amen. 